Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This uh, show, as always, is being brought to you by our good friends at the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City, they have done such an amazing job helping young men be great on the court and in the community. And some of their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. Big thanks to Ernie Kuyper and uh, Chris Cathy and great guys uh, at Hoop City for their support of this podcast and uh, also their work with the Youth Athletic Foundation. In fact, uh, yesterday, Sunday night, uh, they had an amazing event to raise some funds to make sure that uh, they can continue their good work in the Memphis area, make sure that young boys have an opportunity to not only learn the game of basketball, but also uh, get a little insight into the game of life. So thank you, Youth Athletic Foundation. Thank you, Hoop City Basketball Club. I appreciate you tremendously. And uh, a, a bit of news as we uh, open this particular episode of the Grizz Weekly Grind. This is the final episode of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Um, it's, it's, just, uh, it's been a great two-year run. I appreciate everybody who listened, rated, reviewed, especially my buddy Seattle Marinerd, at least that's his Twitter handle, uh, for listening every single time. And I uh, want to thank Isha Jerome, who, uh, with the Basketball Podcast Network, uh, who invited me to do this. Big thanks to Dylan Kaiser, who has helped produce, uh, I think, pretty much every episode and has been a wonderful contact. Also want to thank our friends at DraftKings and also now Raycon uh, for their support of the Basketball Podcast Network. But I'm going to step away uh, from this podcast. Like I said, it's been a really good two-year run. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed all the interviews I've, I've been able to do. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. But uh, the time has come. I just need to step away from it. And so uh, that's that's the news. Um, some other things we got going on here. Uh, on Monday, it is Grizzlies Media Day. Camp will open on Tuesday, and so that's that's the schedule for the Grizzlies going forward. Uh, I expect a lot of questions to be asked about Jaron Jackson Jr.'s foot and how well he is progressing and when he might be back. Uh, so it, it's a very, very intriguing day as, as the players come out in their uniforms and they have their official photos taken and they do a bunch of interviews. Uh, most of this will be streamed on Grind City Media, by the way. So, uh, and it probably will be archived there too, depending on when this podcast actually drops. So if you want to see the interviews with players, Rob Fisher and I are going to be doing some interviews. I know the Chris Vernon show is going to be, uh, is going to have John Morant and, and probably some other players as well. So that's all going on on Monday. And then the uh, first practice will be on Tuesday. So very much looking forward to that. Other things that I have going on uh, in this final edition, uh, back as of uh, very late Wednesday night, back from the NBA broadcast meetings in Jersey City, New Jersey. I've got some updates that I can share with you uh, on some rule changes. You've read about some of them, but we got some finer points on the rules changes, uh, courtesy of Monty McCutcheon, uh, who heads up the referee training and development program for the NBA. I'll touch on that a little bit later on. 
Uh, we also got some information. I, I really can't share a whole lot about the in-season tournament. Most of it's been reported by Shams Tarania already. Uh, we'll mention that as uh, we wrap up today's show. First off, a lot of off-the-court news in the NBA, and so much of it focused on Ime Yudoka and the Boston Celtics. This is an incredibly unfortunate and bad situation for a lot of people for the Boston Celtics organization, for women inside the Boston Celtics organization. Uh, it, it's just, and, and it, it, gave, it gave a lot of people a black eye because, so the news comes out that Ime Udoka is potentially going to be suspended up to a year for an improper relationship with somebody inside the Celtics organization. Really incomplete information because this leaked out in, in dribs and drabs. And so people are jumping to conclusions about this, that, and the other. The worst part of this, and Brad Stevens alluded to this in the press conference that he and Wick Grosbeck, the governor of the Boston Celtics, gave late in the week. The worst part of this is that, okay, we know that Yudoka has been involved in a relationship that's inappropriate with somebody inside the Celtics organization. For the people who went on social media and posted names and photos of women in the Boston organization speculating, recklessly, recklessly speculating that these women might be the person with whom Yudoka was involved. That's just trash. That is absolute, utter garbage that somebody would go on social media and say, well, so-and-so works in, in basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. Maybe it was her. Uh, maybe it was a TV sideline reporter. You know, Twitter can be a good place sometimes, but sometimes it can be an utter cesspool. And the way some people reacted to the incomplete information coming out of Boston was absolutely ridiculous. Brad Stevens called it bullshit, and I'm, you know, I'm in total agreement with him. There are a lot of talented women inside the Boston organization that had nothing to do with this situation. They are being dragged into it for absolutely no good reason. So for those of you who put that out on social media or we retweeted it or somehow commented on it, that's trash. Absolute, utter garbage. Then there were people that reacted, again, because of incomplete information. But everybody's got to react, even though we don't have all the facts. People were reacting, well, he, he was in a consensual relationship, so what's the big deal? Well, again, we had incomplete information. But several people, cooler heads prevailing, hardwood paroxysm uh, among them, pointing out there's a reason why organizations, if they don't out-and-out out prohibit certainly discourage intra-office relationships. And here's why. Let's do a hypothetical. And, and this hypothetical, I'm not saying this is what happened in Boston, but this is why companies, organizations do not want people dating within the office. You start out, man meets woman, they start dating, they become intimate, they're going steady, whatever you want to say. And it is consensual, and it's going along fantastically well. There are some relationships that start in an office, and they continue all the way to the altar. 
that's fine. But there are those cases where a consensual relationship can start within an office. And at some point, one of the parties may say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's say the woman tells the man, I want to break it off for whatever reason. I want to break it off. Well, the man doesn't want it broken off. He wants the relationship to go on. So now we're in a situation where the woman has made it clear to the man, hypothetically, that I don't want to be a part of this relationship. Please don't contact me anymore. Just leave me alone. Let's go our, our separate ways. But the man's not going to let it alone. So there are phone calls. There are texts. He sends flowers or, or candy or, or, or whatever. Well, now this becomes unwanted attention by the man toward the woman. Even though the relationship earlier was consensual, no longer does she want to be in it, yet he wants to be in it. And so now you have this communication that is now termed unwanted. Okay? Now we get in the land of human resources and potential lawsuits. Because now we are firmly in the area of sexual harassment. That is why companies, organizations, sports franchises don't want people to date within the office. If it's consensual, yes, it may end up in a marriage. If it is not, if it ends up breaking up in some way and no longer is consensual, now you can end up in court and lawyers get involved. Again, I'm not saying this is what happened in Boston, but I'm just saying to those Folks out there who are saying, well, look, it was a consensual relationship, and so therefore, why are you suspending him for a year? Get out of his personal life. Clearly, there's more to it than that. And in that vein, some of you may be following Matt Barnes on Twitter. You see the, the podcast that, that he does. Uh, Matt Barnes, former Memphis Grizzly, uh, been around a while, known for his chippy and opinionated style, and I think People remember that uh, he and Derek Fisher were not exactly friends because of uh, a fight over a woman. Initially, Matt Barnes came out and defended Ime Yudoka and was saying, hey, look, you know, consensual relationship. This is, hey, this, this is fine. What are you, you're overreacting. I mean, what is it? Is it a violation of the morals clause or, you know, what, what's going on here? Well, then the news conference com it comes out uh, in Boston and apparently Matt Barnes had talked to somebody who, at least to his mind, had direct knowledge of the situation and what was going on in Boston, maybe had some insight as to the investigation. Because remember, there was a law firm involved. This went back all the way to July when the Celtics became aware of the issue. And so a law firm was brought in to do an investigation. Matt Barnes pulled the earlier tweet supporting Udoka came back out, actually put out a, a little video of himself saying, uh, I'm pulling that tweet down because I've talked to people who are around the situation, and it is, in his words, a hundred times worse than what we thought. Now, the Boston Celtics, in their press conference, they were trying very, very hard not to get any, let anything out there. They were not trying to disseminate any type of information other than to say, he's suspended for the year, you know, we are very, very sorry for the women within the organization who were unjustly pulled into this. Thank you, social media. But they weren't trying to give any more information than that. But Matt Barnes is saying, talking with people that, again, he 
feels are close to the situation or would have knowledge of the situation that he says it's a hundred times worse than what we thought. So this is, it's a lesson in incomplete information because it started out, oh, it's a consensual relationship. Wait a second. Something's not right here. They're going to suspend him for a whole year. Then word comes out, it's multiple violations of team policy. And now we've got Matt Barnes, who I'm sure is still fairly well-connected with players and coaches in the NBA, that he finds out that it's 100 times worse than what was reported. Crazy. I will give a tremendous amount of credit to the Boston Celtics. Because the Celtics were notified of this in July. They immediately bring in a law firm to investigate this and get to the bottom of it. They did not try to sweep it under the rug. They did not try to gloss over it. They took the allegations seriously. They had an investigation. Whit Grosbeck said, you know, we talked to a lot of people trying to figure out, because there's no playbook for this. There is zero precedent for this type of situation. And again, we don't even know all the details. Only Whit Grosbeck and, and, and Brad Stevens and the people close to the organization have the full picture. They have, have the report, obviously, from, from the legal firm. The rest of us don't have any of that. Um, so they're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? A little curious that they're saying it's a year suspension and we'll deal with Udoka's status at the end of that time. That seemed a little odd. But again, they were forced into a situation with the onset of the season. They had to make some type of decision. They obviously had the report from the law firm. They needed to do something before training camp. And so it breaks now. Uh, they, They claim that they're going to review the situation in a year, see what Yudoka's contract situation is going to be. Um, so, you know, there, there, there's, some, there's some questions about that. But I would say this, that Boston did the right thing. There are other organizations, can you say NFL, that have attempted to sweep things like this under the rug, unsuccessfully, largely. But Boston did the absolute right thing with the investigation with the punishment, I'm going, to, I'm going to believe Matt Barnes and what he has found out. I'm going to believe Wick Grosbeck and Brad Stevens with what they have done in Boston. We don't know the details. There's no point in speculating. But it was pretty clear to them that there were multiple violations of organizational policy and Ime Udoka had to be suspended for a year. We'll see what the future holds for him. On the other hand, the other big news was Robert Sarver and the Phoenix Suns. Robert Sarver now saying that he is going to put the Suns and Phoenix Mercury up for sale. Baxter Holmes of ESPN.com wrote a lengthy article exposing some of the warts that were going on within the Phoenix Suns organization and the behavior of Robert Sarver. In the wake of that article, uh, the Suns came out, defended Robert Sarver. You know, this is all lies and innuendo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You talk to people inside the Phoenix organization. One of them told me, the Baxter Holmes article, oh, it was, it was accurate, but it's even worse than what he reported. And everybody in the organization knows it. 
But yet, unlike the Boston Celtics, who went out, they got a legal firm. Okay, we have a complaint. We're going to get a legal firm. We're going to get to the bottom of this, and we're going to do what we need to do, which ended up being the suspension of Ime Udoka. Phoenix, meanwhile, the NBA has to come in and do an investigation, and they find a lot of things that are, as Adam Silver said, beyond the pale in terms of behavior by Robert Sarver. Go ahead, read the Baxter Holmes article. Go ahead, read the reporting on it. It's solid. And so Adam Silver comes out, the report is in, and he says, okay, suspension for a year and $10 million fine. A lot of people came after Adam Silver and said, well, you should have done more. In fact, some of the players did. Players came out and said, you should have done more. Now, the issue with that is essentially this. The NBA Constitution does not allow the commissioner to force the sale of a team. There are limits to the commissioner's power with the type of punishment that he is going to mete out in such extraordinary circumstances. He was able to ban Donald Sterling for life, but could not force Donald Sterling to sell. Let's remember now that Donald Sterling sold the Los Angeles Clippers because his wife had him declared mentally incompetent, and that's why the team was eventually sold. Sterling was banned. He just couldn't be around. But Adam Silver could not force him to sell the team. I think Adam Silver understood that, okay, I'm going to find him as much as I can. I'm going to do what I can under the NBA Constitution. And unless all the other NBA governors you know, were to, were to gang up and tell Robert Sarver, you got to get out of here because we're not going to put up with this. Um, Robert Sarver didn't have to. Didn't have to sell, but I think the handwriting ultimately was on the wall. And I think that Adam Silver gave out the punishment that he, that the, the most really that he probably could do under the NBA Constitution, knowing that the pressure eventually is going to mount. Sarver's going to have to sell. Uh, unfortunately, he's going to make a ton of money on this. Uh, so his bad behavior does result in him, you know, getting a tremendous profit because the Phoenix Suns and most NBA franchises now are valued well over a billion dollars, some at, at close to $2 billion or even over $2 billion. The thing that I didn't like about this is, and, and Sarver comes out after all this, and it's like, well, you know, this is, you know, the world we live in these days, you know, which is just code for, oh, I'm, I'm, this is cancel culture. You're, you're pushing me out because of, you know, political correctness or whatever. I'm not going to get into the things that Robert Sarver said because some of them are so bad, tasteless, sexist, misogynistic, racist. I'm not going to even go there. You go ahead and, and, and read the stuff yourself. But the fact that he came out and was like, well, I'm, I'm kind of sort of sorry, but, you know, this is just the world we live in. And that's why I'm, you know, being punished because of the world we live in now. Look. Adapt or die. <laughs> I mean, yes, this, this is a different world. This is a different society than perhaps what we are used to. But there are ways to adapt your behavior to the social norms, and he refused to do that. And as a result, penalized and now has the Phoenix Suns and Mercury up for sale. So we had two organizations, Phoenix, very defensive, uh, only mildly apologetic. And then we had the Boston Celtics that a complaint was lodged. They brought in a law firm. They investigated. They punished. They did it the right way. 
So kudos to Boston. Phoenix, less than perfect, I would say, as far as that is concerned. Um, we're going to get to the NBA rule changes in a moment and uh, talk what little bit we can about the in-season tournament because it's still uh, still being discussed as far as the, the, the final situation. But again, Shams Tarani has reported quite a bit of it, which appears to be fairly accurate. But first of all, uh, again, this is the uh, this is the last go round for the Grizz Weekly Grind. Big thanks to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, and you know that the NFL action. It's in full swing, man. I mean, we are whew, a few weeks already into the season. We have seen some crazy endings, some fantastic games. And DraftKings Sportsbook, you know them. They're an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, even bigger wins. Now, new customers can bet just $5, $5 on any NFL team to win, and you will get $200 in free bets if they do. All right? Now, if that's not enough, and that's a pretty good deal as it is, but now if that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. And right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with payouts bigger than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? Do it with DraftKings Sportsbook. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. When you place a $5 bet on any football game, that's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. We tell you that if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado or New Hampshire, that number is 1-800-522-4700. Connecticut, 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. In New York, 877-8-HOPE-NY, or you can also text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. In Oregon, visit opgr.org. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9789. In Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. You must be 21 or older, 18 or older in New Hampshire and Wyoming. You must be physically present. In Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, and select parishes. Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. New customer offer is void in New Hampshire, Oregon, or Ontario, California. New customers only valid one per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. $200 issued as eight $25 free bets. Opt-in is required. One stepped up game, one stepped up same game parlay token issued per eligible game. Minimum one dollar bet. Max bet limits do apply. Minimum three legs. Each leg minimum minus three hundred odds. Total bet plus one hundred odds or longer. Profit boosted up to one hundred percent. That's ten or more legs for one hundred percent boost. See terms and conditions at sportsbook.draftkings.com/slash/football-terms. If you know me, you know I'm not a big workout guy, but what I love to do is I love to take really, really long walks. And if I'm not walking with my favorite person in the world, uh, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm listening to music, 
Uh, in fact, my, my favorite podcast actually right now is, is, is Smartless with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and Sean Hayes. They interview celebrity guests, and it's, it's absolutely hilarious. Also listen a lot to uh, – shout out Jimmy Traina and the uh, Sports Illustrated uh, Sports Media Podcast, which, you know, a lot of really great interviews. Enjoy that. But the bottom line is whenever I go out for a long walk, obviously I have my phone with me, but paired to my phone – it's the Raycon Everyday Earbuds. Uh, they look, feel, and sound better than ever. They have optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. They are so comfortable, they will not budge. Long walks in the heat and humidity of Memphis, you get some perspiration going. Some earbuds will slip out or they'll move around. Not these. They will stay seated in your ears properly. And what I love, particularly when I'm on long plane flights, Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. And best of all, they are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. No wonder Raycons Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. They've got three customizable sound profiles. So, you know, if you want bass, if you want the, the, the true sound of the music, or however you want to set it up, that's really cool. You can adjust play, pause, volume, just by tapping on the earbuds themselves. And of course, the noise isolation is really, really good. I use these during plane flights and they really have exceptional noise isolation. Um, like I said, these are great. They pair immediately uh, and consistently. The sound quality is fantastic. I am just over the moon with the Raycon Everyday Earbuds. So uh, here's what we got. Join me as part of the, the, the Raycon Nation. Go to buyraycon.com today and use code TBPN to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TBPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. That's buyraycon.com, code TBPN. So our thanks to them. They, man, they have a fantastic product, and I am, I am thrilled to, uh, to have a pair. They are reliable, and the sound quality is great, and you're going to find out that they cost a lot less than some of the other more, more famous brands. All right. As I said, back from uh, NBA broadcast meetings in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey, and the, we haven't had these meetings in three years. So this was an absolutely fantastic opportunity to get to see people, talk to people, and uh, it, it's, it's like the big family reunion and, and very enjoyable because um, most of the broadcasters are there, broadcasters, analysts, sideline, some sideline reporters are there, producers, directors. Uh, it's, it's, it's really a lot of fun. Um, one of the key things that we heard, and it, it's important every time that, that we meet as a group, is to hear from the officiating group and Monty McCutcheon, who is the head of referee development and training for the NBA. A couple of things. Number one, Kane Fitzgerald, who's been in the league for 13 years. He's been an NBA Finals referee. He is coming off the floor to run the replay center. Jason Phillips had been in the replay center after Joe Borgia. Jason has transitioned out of that, and so Kane Fitzgerald is going to be heading up the replay center. Um Good and bad. I mean, Kane's a good official, but yeah, he's a final level official, and he's coming off the floor, and and that's something that they're gonna have they're gonna have to fill. But uh, this officiating group they've they've done a very good job of identifying good young officials, and uh, I'm I'm sure that Monty and his crew will uh, will find some good officials to come back in. I'm assuming I, I have not heard if we're having any retirements or anybody leaving the staff. I just all I know is that Kane 
is moving into the replay center. Speaking of the replay center, uh, we're all familiar with the green light uh, at the end of the benches for coaches' challenges. There will be a new color added. We will have a blue light special which has absolutely nothing to do with Kmart. Um, one of the things, and, and again, the NBA's focus throughout the years has been trying to improve game flow, trying to make sure that we don't have a million stoppages. So, you know, they, they did away with the rule that uh, in the last two minutes they were going to check, it seemed, virtually every out-of-bounds call. Uh, and, and, and it was taking forever. Uh, so last year they had the experimental rule that the only way you would check for uh, a possession uh, would be on a coach's challenge. It wouldn't wouldn't be the referees with doubt in their mind. Uh, that was experimental. That has been ratified by the competition committee. So again, we'll have the same situation with those changes as we did a, a year ago. But back to the blue light. Um, one of the things that they're trying to do is is just speed up the game and and minimize interruptions. And so, as Monty McCutcheon told us, every two slash three is reviewed in Secaucus, regardless of it, if it seems obvious. If there needs to be a change to the score because of an incorrectly scored 2-3, uh, a shot that did not beat the shot clock buzzer but was counted initially, um, and, and I think I think those are I think that's pretty much pretty much covers it. Um, Secaucus will buzz the courtside administrator. Courtside administrator will illuminate a blue light at the scores table to indicate that there will be a change in the score because a basket was incorrectly scored. There'll be a public address announcement. It's not going to be the referee's going to have to come over. It's going to be sent from Secaucus, and when appropriate, they're going to just illuminate the blue light, make the announcement that the score has been changed. And Because there were times where we would not realize, you know, they go to timeout and... Secaucus buzzes down to the courtside administrator inside FedEx Forum and says, oh, yeah, that three at the 7.04 mark of the second quarter was actually a two. Sometimes we didn't always get that information. Well, now they're going to put a blue light on the scores table so that everybody knows that there is a, a change to the score. Those are relatively minor things. Another relatively minor thing, but I think important, we would have these situations where there might be a review, okay, and uh, the the a, a, Foul was called, coach, coach challenges it, and the challenge is overturned, it becomes an inadvertent whistle, and the ball would be loose. By rule, we would have a jump ball between any two who were in the game at the time of the inadvertent whistle. Well, what was happening is that sometimes the ball was loose, but there was one player that was about to grab it, uncontested, let's say. And yet we were having a jump ball when clearly possession would have been gained by that player. What they are going to do now is if you have a review that results in an inadvertent whistle and player A, the ball may be technically loose, but player A is the only one who can grab it. Or there is an imminent recovery is, is the term that they use in the National Football League for their replay reviews. Um, we're not going to have a jump ball. They're just going to give the ball to the player or to the team that was imminently going to recover the ball. It just is an issue of fairness. There were some situations last year where there would be an inadvertent whistle and there was only one player. There was a, there was a situation uh, in a, in a uh, Laker-Sacramento King game last year. There was a missed free throw. Rebound falls to the floor. Uh, clock erroneously runs. 
Um, and De'Aaron Fox was the only player there to recover the ball. But the ball was loose. He was the only one around the ball. Well, by rule, it becomes an inadvertent whistle. Clock was clock was incorrect. So they have a stoppage. And it's like, well, um, jump ball. Yeah, but De'Aaron Fox was about to recover the ball. and But that was the rule at the time. So they've changed that rule. So that that that's a good rule change. Let's get into the transition take foul rule, which everybody has wanted for a long time. Uh, the transition take foul, basically, they're trying to take away the defensive player just grabbing the offensive player around the waist, grabbing their arm or whatever. If the defender, it may look like he's doing a transition take foul, but if he actually makes a legitimate play on the ball, it's simply going to be a common foul. If it is a transition take foul, the penalty is one free throw, and the free throw can be taken by anybody in the game at the time. So, you know, if John Moran's bringing the ball up and there's a transition take foul, Ja doesn't have to take the free throw. It could be Desmond Bain. It could be anybody in the game at that point in time. Transition take fouls can also be ruled clear path fouls. So if you have a transition take foul and they think that it might meet the criteria for a clear path foul, they'll go over, they'll review, and obviously you could have it be a clear path foul, which is two in possession. If it's not a clear path foul, but it is a transition take foul, it's one in possession, but you're always going to have a foul call. You can't just say, you know, no, the foul, foul didn't really happen. The, uh, the one footnote to this is that transition take fouls are not going to be called or penalized with the one free throw and possession uh, in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime because you're assuming that quite likely teams are trying to take fouls uh, for possession. And so you're you're not going to like change the rules all of a sudden uh, for that. And because you know that teams are going to try to take fouls in the final two minutes, you don't want to take the transition take foul out of that. So that is, uh, that's the footnote to that. Um, I'm sure there are going to be videos coming out from the NBA on, uh, on some of these plays. Uh, we got a, a good look at transition take fouls that, you know, there was one Boban Marjanovic is like lying on the floor and grabs a guy by the leg. That's transition take foul. But there are some times where a guy at midcourt is going to make a play on the ball. Commit a, we'll commit a foul, but it's not a transition take foul. Finally, there was conversation about the in-season tournament. Um, Shams Charania reporting that basically teams are going to have games within their 82-game schedule that are identified as cup qualifying games. And then the top eight teams, based on those cup qualifying games, which are just regular season games like any other game, there's going to be a week then when they run this tournament, which will be top eight teams, single elimination knockout. Basically, as a result, with the cup games and then with the tournament games for the top eight, and those who don't make the top eight are still going to play 80. Everybody's going to play 82 games except for the two teams that make it to the championship of this in-season tournament. Uh, they'll play 83. Again, this is this is all something that Shams Charania has has already reported, so it, it it's already out there. Um, there were some other things that were shared with us at these meetings that we can't divulge at this point. And frankly, it is a work in progress. They're trying to figure it out. Um, they're trying to figure out a lot of different things, particularly in terms of compensation. Okay, how do you motivate uh, players to want to play in this tournament? How do you motivate teams to want to put their best players out on the floor for this tournament? Those are the those are the types of things that the NBA is looking at. Why a midseason tournament? Well, basically, you're, you're trying to 
get some get some more interest. I mean, people complain that the season's too long and the games don't mean anything. And so, okay, well, now let's add a little bit of meaning to the NBA games so that you can have as your tent poles for the NBA season, you can have Christmas Day, you can have MLK, uh, you can also have this in-season tournament, and you can have All-Star, and then the race to the playoffs. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that the NBA stays relevant uh, and, and maintains eyeballs throughout the course of the season, rather than uh, everybody watches on Christmas, people, a lot of people watch on MLK, they'll watch All-Star. Um, and they're pointing to the success of the play-in tournament, which a lot of people said, oh, this is terrible. This is a terrible idea. Terrible idea. What is it? LeBron James said, whoever thought of this should be fired. Well, it has resulted in tremendous numbers of eyeballs, much more interest in the last month of the season that um, they're, they're going to continue it. And the hope is, and, and my position on this is, the people that are working on this are the same people that worked on the play-in tournament. Proof of concept, it works. They seem to have a pretty good head on their shoulders. They're pretty smart people. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt as far as the in-season tournament. We'll see how it plays out. The question was brought up, of course, well, what about load management? Antonio Daniels, um, who is television analyst for the New Orleans Pelicans and also uh, does the Give and Go radio show on Sirius XM Radio with Rick Kamala, said, said, look, we can't make this. You, you talk about shortening the season. He said, when I came into the NBA, training camp was a month long, and we had two-a-days most of the time. What do you, it, the, the bottom line is there is no scientific proof that load management does anything except keep players off the floor and keep them from prospect of injury. Which, look, every time you step on the floor, there's danger of injury. Look, if we cut the NBA season down to 60 games, they'd figure out a way to load manage, and guys would still play 40 of 60 instead of playing 60 of 82. Um, it's, it's just kind of where, where we are right now. I don't know that the science supports load management uh, other than you hold a guy out because you don't want him to get hurt. That's, that, that's pretty much what it is. But as far as the midseason tournament, uh, again, it, it's going to be built into the regular season schedule as much as you possibly can. Uh, minimal disruptions, but yet you have some drama. You have a trophy. You have some type of uh, you know probably financial compensation for the winners. So again, I'm going to give the NBA the benefit of the doubt on this. A lot of people have said, I don't know. Like, you know what? The play-in tournament drew a lot of criticism early. Well, now everybody loves the play-in tournament. And, uh, and we'll see. I think that the NBA PA, you know, they have to be on board with this. So the NBA has their thoughts on it. The Players Association has to sign off on it. And maybe we'll have it next year. Don't know. Definitely won't have it this year. Maybe we'll have it next year. Uh, and that's, uh, that's pretty much a wrap. Um, again, I want to thank Isha and Dylan at the Basketball Podcast Network for their continued support. I want to thank Ernie Kuyper, and Chris, Kathy, and everybody at Hoop City Basketball Club for their uh, continued support of this podcast, along with our friends at Raycon and DraftKings Sportsbook. They have been uh, supporters during the course of this podcast. It has been a blast bringing you the Grizz Weekly Grind. Um, but again, all good things must come to an end. So again, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you. Uh, good Grizzly season about to get underway can't wait to get it started um so again heartfelt thanks 
from me to you. Thanks to all the guests that appeared on this show throughout the years. And boy, we've, we've, we've had a pretty good list. So we really appreciate them. We appreciate you as listeners. And again, uh, this is the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. So long, everybody. Thank you.